0: enjoy our videos and podcasts and would like us to continue putting out regular quality content head over to patreon.com forward slash aircrew interview where you can donate monthly and in return you will get rewards ranging from early interview viewings, bonus clips, credited as a producer and much more. Thank you and enjoy. Uh, hello Mike, what do most pilots aircrew, stub their toes on? Um, well, the memorable thing for me in the Navy was uh, banging my shin on um, on what, what's called a knee knocker. I don't know what the the the, uh, the hole that separates the frames in the ship, and um, I've still got some scars on, on my shins from taking massive layers off. Um, other in the airplane, I, I don't know, you bang your knee uh, occasionally or your your elbow on the you know the unforgiving side the metal of the airplane uh let's see and mike again uh you watched a short film about the f5 aggressors absolutely loved it yeah that was great so that was our what we called a sizzle reel that's the thing that we put out to oh i don't know mike can you still see me there put, yeah i've just switched off my video so uh, it's, oh, okay, there's no okay, interruptions sorry, mate. Okay. um Anyway, so the uh, the last of the dogfighters was uh, our sizzle reel that we used to go out and raise money to film the, the full feature, Speed and Angels. But, yeah, it's actually one of my favorite uh, segments as well. Uh, toughest thing you faced in initial training? Uh, that's a great question, Mishagor1. Um, I think probably the very toughest thing that I faced was just coming... D- just the sense of belief that I could actually do it. i had never flown a plane before, so um, my first three, four, five flights in the T-34 were really daunting, uh, and I didn't do all that great. And then all of a sudden, something clicked about my seventh flight, um, and I can't remember if it was a different instructor, because I had the same instructor for the first few, but all of a sudden, my landings were great, and um, or at least acceptable, I don't know about great, but um, I felt, from that moment on, I felt like, I can do this, and it really—it um, felt very natural for me moving forward. Uh, obviously, landing on the aircraft carrier was a huge uh, uh, a test and something that I, I wasn't positive I could do. But um, I always had this mentality, like you know, there are better pilots than me, and there are worse pilots than me. Uh, I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm not the best or the worst. So if they can do it, I can do it. Uh, and, uh, whatever mental trick you, you need or, or use to get you through, that's, that's what you hang your hat on. Um, Marcel, thank you. Good to be back. Uh, let's see. F5 is a great jet from John Ellis. It is a great jet. It's a great jet to fly. I wouldn't want to be, uh, flying that in combat because it's, Fairly limited in capability, but uh, as a pilot, it's a spectacular airplane. It's just pure stick and rudder, cables. Um, you know, whatever whatever you do in that airplane, uh, and what, whatever the maneuvers you perform, it's hundred percent due to your skill or lack of skill, uh, as it were. Um, let's see, anything else? While we get the questions coming in, Paco, I just want to ask you, What did you ever go up against uh, a T-45 at all? You know, the Navy version Hawk? Uh, I did not. Um, so those came out uh, in the training environment after I left. I was the T-34, T-2, TA-4. Um, and I never really, you know, I, I saw them, but with the regular fleet doesn't uh, interact with the uh, training command very much, so I, I didn't okay. dogfight against them. Brilliant. Um, Mike asked, what was your motivation to get through the tough times? Um, I, you know, there were never really tough times. Like I, I never got despondent. It was all fantastic and wonderful. And I, I was, I relished every challenge. Um, my motivation was that I loved what I was doing and I wanted to get to the end. I I really wanted to get, you know, the, the Navy wings, the wings of gold. Um, And I wanted to get out there in the fleet and fly the the cool jets, even though what we were flying, the T2s and A4s, were were fun. Um, You know, it's nothing like the F14 or the A6 at the time. Um, And you know, you're surrounded by your peers that are also very focused and dedicated, and it's a it's a competitive group, but it's also a very supportive group. So everybody's kind of dragging each other along towards the uh, the eventual goal. It's a really um, excellent community. Um, Richard asks, why does the Navy's Air Combat Command view the Fast Eagle section attempt as a failure to maintain air superiority over it's and a major concern for its air supremacy issue? Okay, so Richard asks, asks, baby, why doesn't the Navy view the Tic Tac incident as a failure of air superiority? Uh, I think, Richard, to a certain degree, they do. which is why that initial ATIP or O&I investigation in uh, 2015 was, um, initiated. So at the time in 2004, when, when, you know, Dave Fravor and the, and the uh, F-18s encountered the tic-tac and nobody really thought too much about it. It, it didn't, um, it didn't really trigger any alarm bells at, at a very high level. Uh, it, but it percolated over time and eventually, somebody raised the question like you are now saying well if there's something out there that can fly that can defeat all our radars it can not be um prosecuted by f-18s which is our most sophisticated fighter at the time um what is it and what is the threat and that question is what prompted and motivated the interview uh, the uh, investigation um so yeah, I think I think the Navy is uh, interested. I don't know if they're concerned necessarily, but they're interested by what that is and and how it affects a carrier strike group. All right, gore how did you choreograph the dogfight scenes shown in Speed Angels? That is a good question because it took forever. Um, so one of the things that i really wanted to do in speed and angels was make the viewer feel like they were in a dogfight so a participant as opposed to just somebody that's passively watching it on screen um and so it took me a long time to kind of conceive of how to show the essence of what a dogfight is like without actually showing a real dog fight so real dog fights i think watching them is a little bit boring because they take Uh, it takes a little bit longer than you might think for the planes to come around and come back at each other. And and while the pilots are involved in, you know, high G and high speed and all this kind of mental processing and and manipulating the HOTAS to get the radar and weapons properly uh, in a, all of that is very internal. And so externally you would just see two planes doing them, you know, opposing turns and coming back at each other. So um, we, we choreographed a bunch of, what I would call dogfight moves, Uh, planes passing each other, planes going up, planes rolling in behind each other. Um, And we filmed a dogfight in segments from a variety of different angles, inside of the cockpit, outside the cockpit, um, from an airplane, airborne, from the ground, uh, a mountaintop. And so we we filmed these sequences and then overlaid them over audio, an existing and real audio, uh, in a way that it made sense to the viewer and also conveyed the sense that they were in a dogfight. So um, I hope that answers your question. It's kind of a roundabout way. But it did take a long, long time to choreograph those sequences and shoot them from three or four different vantage points. And then paste them all back together properly. Uh, let's see. Mirrored window. F-35 is a love-hate. What role do you see it best suited for? Um, I don't know why you would hate it. Uh, I think... That it's the next um, generation of air combat. So, as a pure fighter plane, it's not designed to be a pure fighter plane. It's not a standalone platform. It's not going to go out, you know, single ship and meet an F 35 and, you know, hand to hand combat, basically. That's not the role of the F 35. Um, The F 35 is part of the new way that we uh, treat air superiority. It's a connected battlefield. So there's, Um, This incredible data link system that receives information from, you know, satellites, from people on the ground, from ships, from B-52s, from all the F-35s and F-22s in the network, and eventually Hornets, Rhinos. Um, And it builds this incredible battlefield picture. And then the F-35 can execute on that information and it can quarterback, um, you know, other planes like F-15s and and, uh, Super Hornets to go out and be missile shooters and you can target something from a different airplanes, data link. So the way that air combat is going to be fought, uh, moving forward is completely different than the way that it's been done before. Um, so it is a very capable platform. We just need to change. We meaning the the general populace that loves airplanes needs to change the way we view, uh, fighter planes. So I don't know if that, answers your question uh, mirrored window you can you're certainly welcome to follow up if you have some something else that you'd want to know neil osborne what was your scariest carrier landing oh that's a good one uh i had a single engine landing in the a6 at night because i was flying uh, we were uh, out doing what's called blue water ops which is operations uh, beyond any divert so you have to come back to the ship or eject those are your basically your two options um and I was flying, uh, you know, we're in the middle of the Indian ocean. We don't really have any tasking. So a lot of times the ship will just send you out to check out all the, um, surface contacts in the area and take pictures and it's, it's practice. And it's also good intelligence gathering for the, the carrier. So it's called double SC. Um, and we were out doing double SC, my uh, bombardier navigator and I, and as we're passing, we're maybe at hundred feet doing 400 some knots and as we're passing this, this container ship all of a sudden there's a massive banging coming out of my right engine and I sort of don't know what it is and and my navigator my guard goes pull up and I'm like oh yeah I should pull up um, and so I pull up and slow down and it turns out my right engine had ceased um, and uh, it was no longer working um, and so I went back to the ship and um, it's Indian Ocean which is very hot very humid um, we were relatively heavy, so the ship had us dump down and then burn down uh, even lower than um, than we could dump. So we, we had enough gas for maybe one to one and a half to two passes. Period. Single engine. Um, fortunately, it was a nice night. It was calm, um, but it was I was I was a nugget. So it was my first deployment. I'd maybe 50 carrier landings, 60 total. Uh, and, uh, I'll just never forget, you know, I was circling about four miles after the ship as the sun's going down and, and it's getting dark and trying to burn that last little bit of gas down. And the captain of the ship came up and said, all right, that's enough. Come on and bring it aboard. And I was like, Oh, Okay. Um, and it's, it's kind of a, a weird thing knowing that, you know, it's not just you and the airplane and the LSOs, like 5,000 people are watching you at this point because you're an emergency aircraft and there's a TV in every compartment. And, uh, obviously the, the, the landing uh, was fine, but I mean, my heart was in my throat and it was, it was pretty scary. Um, Mike Ryan asked, during your career, how did you find working with the British RN crew and aircraft if you had this experience? I did not directly. Um, I had, and I think I told the story last time, but I had this great um, mission over Kuwait uh, when I was flying A6s. So later on in that deployment that I just talked about, the single engine landing, um, we were off the coast of Kuwait. Um, this is 1992 so it's not too long after the you know the 91 gulf war and uh we got this message that we're going to do a a coordinated strike that was opposed so it was going to be two a6s i was leading a a section of two a6s there were going to be two kuwaiti uh hornets f-18 charlies that were going to come and escort us to the target um there were going to be two Kuwaiti A4s, so the A4KU, which was a really cool A4, if you know anything about those. And they were going to go to the target, but in a different way. And we were going to be opposed by uh, British tornadoes, tornadoes, however you pronounce that. And uh, all of this was done via message. So nobody, there was no face-to-face briefs. There was no actual voice contact. It was just, you know, be at this place, at this time, on this frequency, at this altitude, and everything will go swimmingly. So, you know, I'm a young guy, it's my first cruise. I'm like, all right, sounds great, I'm in. Um, so we show up, we're rendezvousing, all of a sudden these two Hornets show up, you know, I give the guys a thumbs up and then I see the, uh, the A4s show up as well. And the way it's supposed to work, Kuwait is a very small country, um, you know, it's a city-state essentially. Um, the A6s and Hornets are gonna, go, are gonna go counterclockwise to a target, we're starting out over the ocean, and the target's on the west side of, uh, of Kuwait again, along the Iraqi border. And then the A4s are gonna go the same way and our target, our TOTs are uh, separated by say three to four minutes. So we'll be rolling in from the north and we'll be off target and out of the air um, as the A4s are rolling in from the south. And that's the deconfliction, uh, which in retrospect turned out not to be that great. So we, we start off and again, I'm very young, this is my first, experience with anything like this. I'm super excited. We're, again, fast at 100 feet over the water. Then we make a left turn to west, and now we're flying at 100 feet over the desert. And I see some tornadoes over in the distance. And all of a sudden, my two escort hornets take off, and they're gone. And I see them dogfighting over there. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess we're on our own. Um, And we reach the target, and um, I do a, uh, a low pop. So I'm coming in low, and my navigator and I and our wingman pop up to maybe 2,000 feet and I'm in the dive and I'm looking through my um, gun sight at the the, the bombed out hangar that I'm supposed to be simulating diving. And all of a sudden an A4 zips right below me, maybe 200 feet below me going in the opposite direction, Um, one of the Kuwaiti A4s. He was early on his time on target. And I simulate dropping my bomb and as I'm coming off there's a tornado rolling in on me and so I get involved in this big dogfight. Um, and I'm trying to hold him off. We're like between 500 and 1,500 feet, just rolling and rolling. And as I'm in the middle of this, a, a Kuwaiti hornet comes in and jumps the tornado, and I'm able to bug out. And my wingman and I are bugging out as fast as the A6 will go, so maybe 500 knots at 50 feet over Kuwait. Uh, he is perfectly in position with me, and we're flying out over the bay, and there's all these uh, fishing boats just going zipping beneath us. It was It was awesome. So that was my experience working with the Royal Navy with the Brits. Um, Marcel asks, have you flown the A-4, if so, how would you compare it to the F-5? I flew the TA-4 um, when I was in training uh, and it was amazing, it was a great airplane, super maneuverable, Uh, funny, it wasn't really designed to be a fighter, but it turned out to be a phenomenal adversary platform. My first job when I got, after I got winged was to go be a stash ensign. So I was waiting to go fly the A6 and I went to VFC 13 down in San Diego and they had um, A4s. They had the Super Fox, which was an A4 with a 409 engine. And it was basically one-to-one thrust to weight ratio. Uh, And it could go, it couldn't go supersonic, but it could go, they they would joke that it would go 0.9 in any direction. You know, horizontally 0.9, straight down, straight up 0.9. Um, And it was an amazing fighter. Uh, The F5 is a different type of fighter, Um, not nearly as maneuverable, certainly not as good in the slow speed environment as the A4, but really fast. I mean, we could get through the number in in a second and we could go 1.4 pretty easily. So we could chase some stuff down. Um, Let's see. Uh, K L R G T 500 K R. Sorry, that's not easy to pronounce. What are your thoughts about the Navy working with Northrop Grumman on a true spiritual successor of the F-14 Tomcat, which will be a sixth generation air superiority dominance. I have no thoughts on that. I don't know anything about that. Um, I don't think it's funny. Like the people that love the Tomcat love it so much that they just can't let it go. And I appreciate that because I loved flying that airplane. Um, But if I don't know if you were here for the F 35 discussion, the, the way that combat is going to go in the future is it's going to be a connected battlefield. Obviously the planes will be capable enough that if something happens, they can dogfight and and do whatever they need to do. Um, but it's not really about one v ones anymore. It's, it's more about, um, how you control the airspace through a connected battlefield. I don't know that, you know, the F the F 14 will survive in any, in any, uh, recognizable fashion moving forward, but it will in my heart forever. Uh let's see. John Ellis, if you had cash, would you buy privately owned F5? I might, yeah. I mean the, you know the fun of an airplane is flying it against someone. So I'd have to have cash enough to buy two, John, so that I could go out and dogfight with some friends. Uh Gore asks, uh, considering that you were a senior pilot going to the Tomcat from the A6, how was it learning air-to-air tactics? Um, it, was, uh, it was definitely a learning curve. So I thought I knew what um, fighter pilots did when I was an A6 pilot, because I really wanted to be a fighter pilot. Um, but I was wrong, and it took me a while to, uh, you know, I, I, even though I was a senior guy, I was learning uh, from some of the really junior guys. But I was really eager, and it took me a while to get up to speed, and it was humbling. Um, I remember just getting my butt whooped in some of the dogfights, uh, and not understanding why. And it took it, it took a while to learn how to fly um, you know, the plane properly. And, and uh, some of the easier stuff was, you know, just using the radar uh, and and the uh, long-range BVR um, air-to-air combat stuff, because that's more, uh, in a sense, clinical. You can, it's more scripted. Uh, But the the dogfighting is, it's really um, an art, uh, you know, married up with whatever science you have. You have to be able to really fly the plane well and understand what the other airplane is doing and the expectations of energy state and angles. Uh, lift vector, all that kind of stuff. So it took a while for that to to really click into place. Uh, Marcel asks, some of those uh, A4KU ended up flying for the Brazilian Navy, locally designated as the af one Oh, that's cool. I did not know that. Great airplanes. I wish I could have flown or could fly those. KLRGT500 asks, Did you ever fly the F 14B or D? If so, how did you compare it with the F 14A in terms of flying characteristics in air combat? I never flew the D, but I flew the F 14B about six or seven times when I was uh, going through the Tomcat RAG, and it was remarkable. Um, my favorite story of flying the D was I was getting a, the D demo ride, and I was Again, I was a relatively senior student going through the A-14 because I'd flown the A-6 for a while, Um, and the the uh, the Rio that I was flying with I had known for a while, so there was a level of trust already. Um, And he said, "All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you. We're out over the ocean, over off of Virginia Beach, about 100 miles offshore. Um, And he said, and we own the surface to 50,000 feet or something like that airspace. And he said, I want you to get as low as you can." And go about 400 knots and then do 4G pull into the vertical and plug in the blowers and see what happens. And i like, okay, cool. So I get down, I don't know, 100 feet or so, 400 knots, 4G pull, plug in the blowers, and I went straight up. And within, I don't know, 30 seconds or so, I was at 45,000 feet and I rolled over, inverted, and leveled out, and I was still doing 250 knots. Um, it was an insane insane uh, acceleration and climb. Uh, so the the B with the big engine, the F-110s, uh, was a different airplane from the F-14A. And I'm kind of bummed I didn't get to fly the B in, in, the, in the fleet, but you know, whatever, these things worked out the way they did. Uh, the, although the B, other than having an actual, like a better HUD and some of the other stuff, it was basically the same as the A. And then the D, I never flew, I didn't really have much uh, uh involvement with but i do know that the guys that Fluid said the radar was incredible it was a real game changer for them carl where was your favorite place to go for cross countries um that's you know i was married when i was flying uh, the f-14 i did do a lot of cross countries and and i lived in southern california which was kind of great place to be period um i took some great cross countries out to Pensacola and uh, you know, Virginia Beach, Key West was always a good place to go. Um, I don't know. I, it's funny that you asked that because it's one of the things I remember most about taking cross countries was the, the Air Force bases that we stopped along the way to get gas in a, in a burger. Like Tinker Air Force Base, they had the Tinker Burger and that was you know, it was always just a rite of passage to get a Tinker Burger in, on your gas and go. Uh, Mike Ryan, amazing account. Thanks so much for your insight. You're welcome, Mike. That's what I'm here for. Uh, Avgeek Joe, I noticed that you have a Black Lions patch. Did you fly with Toro? Hillary O'Connor mute. No, she was uh, after me. So I was there from '93 to '96, and I, I believe that she came after after I was gone. Mirrored window. To simplify the hate on F-35 for me comes from it being the spiritual successor of the F-111B, trying to be too much at once. I mean, I can see that. So, um, you know, you, you have a limited number of, of uh, defense dollars that you could put uh, to use. Um, the F-22 is an amazing fighter plane, but it is an air superiority fighter. That's really all it does. Uh, and so we needed a platform to be able to uh, to penetrate um, penetrate enemy airspace, to open up all the uh to to own the skies basically so you know you have to have it to be stealth it has to be able to drop bombs and has to be connected so i think the f-35 really is the best answer it's not the best airplane that they could make but it's the best answer to the problem that exists at this time how do you how do you get an airplane that's stealth that's fast that's connected uh and that can deliver a fair amount of ordnance now once this once once we own the skies, then you can bring whatever you want. You can bring B-52s or C-130s in to drop bombs. Um, but you really do have to own the skies first. Uh, so I think the F-35 really does a good job at that. <sighs> KLRGT500, please give me like a nickname that's easier to say. Favorite strength with the F-14 in a fight against any adversary, which inspired the most confidence that you can win the fight? vertical capability, high low maneuvering, high G, turn fight, Uh, so the F-14, like easily the best uh, asset that the F-14 had was, um, again, this was at the time, the AUG-9 radar uh, followed up by the, uh, I think it was the APG-73 and the D. Um, So the the long range radar, so a really big dish up front gives you long range, a big dish and a big power source gives you long range and um, the ability to discriminate targets at a long range. That coupled up with the uh, M54, even though we never actually used the M54. I think the Iranians have a bunch of kills with that, but the US uh, never did. But that that is something that gave us a lot of confidence that we could, you know, use that aircraft properly. Um, Once we got into visual range, we were probably the underdog in that, certainly against uh, a slick Hornet or F-35. I'm sorry, Su-35, Su-27 category aircraft. but we flew a lot. Uh, I had you know, 250, 300 hour years, so I was very, very confident and competent in my airplane. And I felt like the quantity and quality of flying that I did, uh, the training, the missiles, the readiness of my airplane, uh, I, I felt like I was ready to meet any challenge that was out there. Uh, but on paper, you know, the F-14 was a six and a half G airplane um, that was a .67, .7 thrust away uh, and it was, um, it that's one of the reasons why it doesn't really exist anymore because it was it was outclassed by the, uh, uh, Su-27 and, and other threat aircraft that were coming. Uh, Neil, you're welcome. What aircraft would you want to fly that you never flown? Oh, Neil, I, I, it used to be the F-16. I had I had always wished I could fly the F-16. Uh, certainly, as an adversary, now I think it's the F-22. Man, that is an amazing an Amazing air to air platform that would have been incredible. Uh, what aircraft are you flying now as an airline pilot? Uh, 737, not the max, uh, just a straight up 737, 78 and 900s. Um, what uh, which commercial aircraft would you like to fly in the future? Uh, you know, for me, the air- airliners are just airliners, uh, they, they are a means to an end, so um. I would like to fly internationally uh, again, which I should be able to do sometime in the next uh, year and a half to two years. Uh, so that would probably be the A330 um, or the 777, more, more likely the A330. Uh, Geek Joe, Thanks, big fan of you both, and thanks for being so available. My pleasure, for sure. Uh, air crew, interview you might ask, I always wanted to know why Navy crews always overlap their patches on the jacket because we love them so much that we can't get rid of them. Um, I don't know they, you know, Navy guys in their jackets, uh, you know, we just love our patches. Uh, it's shameless. Um, you know, there's, I'm sure it violates multiple regulations, but nobody ever really came after us and it looks cool. <laughs> I like it. Uh, all right, Carl, We are a patch collector while you were in? No, never. I mean, not in the sense that I deliberately went out and got patches. I clearly collected a few just because I was in a bunch of different squadrons. Paul, Bassman, oh, also, was there ever an F-14C? No, there was never an F-14C. Uh, Mirren went Paco, thanks for the response. As an A-6 and fighter pilot, you're welcome. Um, LIK, liquid? Liquid i would have thought with the technology the phoenix missile and how capable the f-14 radar was that the skies that the likes of the sukhoi wouldn't have been a threat that's interesting so they would not you're absolutely right and i would have never been concerned uh with going up in a no kidding beyond visual range uh war or engagement with any other aircraft sukhoi but you know if if the rules of engagement preclude a 200 mile Phoenix shot. Then you, you know, you, now you're starting to get into uh, within visual range, and the SU-27 is a very capable uh, maneuvering aircraft. So, you know, it would have been a it would have been an interesting fight. I think would, have, you know, they had a better uh, thrust away, weight. They had better turn, and uh, you know, I had the confidence that I could fly the hell out of my airplane. So, we, we would have been interesting joe d triple seven i've heard that the u.s navy is more flexible variable in acm training tactics while the u.s air force is more structured rigid and tends to repeat the same things over and over again any thoughts on this um i I don't know i don't know how the air force does their bfm training uh i do know that they are really good um i've fought against them a number of times Uh, bvr stuff they are amazing they are really really good um but again that's as you mentioned and I mentioned earlier, that's very scripted um, and it's, uh, I'm not gonna say it's easier, but you you can, uh, you kind of know what's coming and you know where your turn points are and your shot points are and stuff like that, but they are really good. Um, and very, very professional. Not that the Navy isn't, but I was always very impressed by the Air Force BVR work. Uh, within visual range, you know, I, I flew against some guys that were really good and some guys that were, you know, not as good. I, I flew against them uh, both in the Tomcat and the F-5. Um, not a super, uh, lot of exposure to them, but, uh, you know, they, they seem to be as good as Navy guys. The best, actually, some of the best guys I ever flew against were the Marine Corps. Pilots and they were really, really good. Uh, R Sharp, any comments on the 737 MAX from a pilot's perspective? Uh, I do. I mean, I I feel like um, Boeing really let everybody down. I think uh, the 737 has been around since I think the 60s. Uh, Not a ton of work has been done on it to improve it as an airplane other than putting uh, some new wings and engines on it and keep stretching it out. what they did with the Max, uh, in terms of um, putting in a, a software um, safety um, that would prevent, you know, the airplane from stalling when it was in a in a bank, um, is not unusual. Uh, you know, any of the big airplanes that are out there right now uh, have those sort of uh, laws that pre- help prevent the planes from stalling or help prevent the pilots from exiting the safety envelopes. But it's the way that that was done. It was done in the cheap, um, you know, a single point of failure, uh, not the best engineers involved in designing the, uh, the software itself. Um, it's, it's really disappointing to me. Um, so I, I, the concept was not unusual, but it was the execution that was incredibly below par. Um, and you know, somebody, somebody should burn for that. That is really um, disappointing. Uh, KLRG T500KR I've read the F14 B&D with the GF110 110, uh, 110 engines was so much thrust in zone 5 it would accelerate vertically in your experience with the F14A could it accelerate vertically in full zone 5 afterburner? No it definitely could not so the F14A um, I don't remember exactly what the thrust was but it was roughly 0.7 um, thrust to weight so uh, you know even uh, even if you were going incredibly fast and tried to you know point yourself vertically and plug in the afterburners, uh, gravity would be able to uh, you know eventually win the day uh, the fastest I ever went though was an f14a um, there's a profile and I forget the name of it at this very moment but it's named after a Russian um, uh Ritowski climb i think maybe something to that effect where you know you you climb at 0.9 until you get to a certain altitude and then you bump the nose over and uh accelerate to 1.3 and then as you're accelerating you, you start climbing and that's as fast as you'll get um and i did that on a in a slick f-14a that had just come out of uh um the rework facility so it had no tanks and rails on it. And uh, we were out off the coast of San Diego in the supersonic area. And my Rio and I were like, hey, let's see how fast we can get this thing going. And we got it to uh, 1.7, which was pretty fast. And then uh, I got uh, dual compressor stalls, which is very classic TF-30 garbage. Uh, scared the hell out of me, out of both of us. But anyway, that's, uh, that's as fast as I have run an airplane. Marcel asked, can your Yak provide you the fix for the G and the thrill? If you move to the A330, you are welcome to Switzerland. Oh, well, thank you, Marcel. Um, the Yak, I mean, it does, you know, it does a good job. It's not the same. Uh, there's, there's more to flying in a fighter plane than just climbing into a fighter plane and going flying. You know, you're part of this big mission. Uh, There's all kinds of people involved, uh, both in the air and on the ground. And, and you really feel like you're part of something that's uh, like a big game. You get the butterflies in your stomach. Um, especially if you're launching from an aircraft carrier, because it's just, it really feels like a coordinated effort to get everybody airborne and you know, all the engines are starting at exactly the same time and there's people scurrying around. So it's, it really feels like you're part of something that's bigger than yourself, which is fun. Um, and obviously, there's the thrill of going out and, and, and manipulating uh, the the machine through the the briefed maneuvers to get yourself uh, you know into aerial combat and you know do all, all the missiles and stuff like that. Um, the Yak is super fun to fly. It's challenging. I'm not. Uh, I'm. I've got maybe a couple hundred hours in this tailwheel airplane now. It turns like crazy. It pulls nine Gs without even thinking about it. Um, so, it's really fun. It's fun to go out and dogfight, but it lacks, it's just a little bit below, or maybe a lot below, that sort of big game feel that uh, we used to get. Uh, check your 677. Can you enjoy flying general aviation aerobatics after all named jets? Uh, I think that overlaps a little bit with the previous question. I do. I really enjoy it. I enjoy the challenge of flying. I, I have access to a bonanza as well. So, I take my family flying in a bonanza, uh, and it's fun to go places. I, I, I like flying. Um, it's not the same um, and it never will be, but that's fun. Um, fighter pilots like athletes, you know they die twice once you once when you finished uh, with your young and thrilling career and obviously the next time when you, you exit life. but um, it is still fun flying uh, more normal airplanes. I do get a thrill out of it. Uh, you welcome liquid uh let's see martin asks uh how would you compare the f5 to its peers and t- turn performance wise um so the f5 I, th- I can't remember the degrees per second i wish i had it I-, I used to be obviously very familiar with that but if you do a two circle fight in an f5 um you're going to lose so a two circle fight is you know two airplanes they cross their tails and they both turn in the same direction so they're turning both of them in a left hand or right hand turn to try and see who comes nose on first. And it's how many degrees per second you can bring your nose about. The F5 is maybe two thirds of, the, of the, uh, the degrees per second of more modern fighters. So if, if, you, if all you do is turn in the horizontal as hard as you can, the other is gonna come nose on first, get his radar lock, and shoot a missile at you. So you have to do something different. Um, and you have to you know you have to be aware of the other plane's capabilities and game plan, and you have to sort of force the fight in a way that's less advantageous to them. So one way to do that is to go one one circle out of plane. So he goes horizontal, and you go up and over, and that forces him to come up and meet you. And now the game is different, and you can you can think three, four, five steps, five merges ahead, and try to make that other plane do a, an error. So. One of the things that was great about the F-5, or is great about the F-5 as an adversary platform, is that you should lose. You should lose every engagement based on, you know, performance characteristics. So that if you win, and we, you know, we won a fair amount. When you win, you know that the uh, the blue plane did something wrong, and it's called a BFM error. And often it only takes one BFM error uh, to lose a fight. So you can go back in the debrief, and you can draw up uh, the little squiggles on the board, and you say, I went left, you went right, I went up, you didn't You didn't counter me until it was too late, and by then I was able to get angles on you, and now you're defensive. And then you put a little red circle around that and say, this is where you made an error. Next time, learn from this moment and don't do that again. And you could really see a progression in the students as they were going through the syllabus um, where they would learn from those moments to the point where, you know, you're, you're losing every fight, which is what we're supposed to do in the F5. Um, Mike says, do you have a website we can find more about yourself in your book? Thanks, Mike. Yes, lionsofthesky.com, lionsofthesky.com. Um, it's got my bio, a bunch of interesting stuff, some video. I think I've got one of Mike's interviews up there as well. And my book um, is available. Uh, you can check it out, uh, get some excerpts or whatever, and, and find out more about the book and Speed and Angels, the documentary. Thanks, Mike. Uh, Liquid says comparing the A to the B, I guess, not having to worry about the engines and the B model was a big concern off your mind whilst carrying out your shorties. You know, I never really worried about the engines, uh, Liquid. I, I, you become uh, – it becomes instinctive. Like, you know, say if you've got a car that's a little bit longer than, the, than your previous car and you know that if you turn a little too tightly, you're going to rub the rear wheel against a curb or something like that. So after you drive it a few times, you, you don't do that anymore. It's sort of the same mentality when you're flying that when we were flying the A, you knew that there were certain ang- high angle attacks with some side slip that would cause the inside engine to compress or stall. So you just, after a while, instinctively avoided those. Um, the B guys, and I, I, I flew the B, like I said, about five to seven times, so I never really got competent in it, and I didn't fly it in the fleet, but I, I talked to some guys in the bar, which is where pilots do their best talking um and he was describing to me and there's one of my favorite maneuvers in dogfighting. period in any airplane it's called the pirouette where you, you you know you pass another airplane and as you're passing him you kind of pull nose up and you're able to swap ends so that now you're chasing him instead of uh you know instead of passing him in a neutral It's it's um it's a tricky maneuver because there's a lot of ways you can screw it up and a lot of ways that if you do it wrong that you actually give away any kind of advantage you would have. But yeah. I, I love doing it. In the F-14A, it was really cool because you would have to actually depart the airplane. So you would put the stick forward and to the right. And then as you're breaking AOA, you would go full uh, left uh, aileron and right rudder. And the plane would just pivot like a Frisbee and then start going down. The B guys could do that by splitting the engines, which blew my mind. Um, so they would go up and they could leave the left engine in full afterburner and pull the right engine back to uh, military, which is you know full power without afterburner. And the plane would just swap ends and, and be right in the mix. Um, and I loved hearing that story, B&D, guys. But I never was able to do that. Ishgore, um, how can we get that ABG Flying Tigers t-shirt? Oh, I don't know. I got it off the internet somewhere. It's a cool shirt, though. I love it. Um, Neil says, as an airline pilot and uh, used to use afterburners, would you love to fly a Concorde? Sure. Um, Yeah, I mean, so flying fast with afterburners in and of itself is, um, I think it's something that you get used to very quickly, right? So if you're just not non maneuvering you take off, you accelerate. And if you're in a Concorde, you accelerate to Mach 2. and there you go. And the only thing you really notice is that the miles click away much more quickly. Um, other than that, it's not like you're pulling Gs and, and really feeling the, the grunt, the, the push of the engines. SPQR 77, have you been back to Italy? I go to Italy every year. I'm there every year, every summer, uh, at least. So, uh, yes. KL RGT 500. Did you fight against the F-15? If so, which fighter were you flying and what variant of it against which? So I did. I fought against the F-15, Charlies, um, and Strike Eagles when I was flying F-5s. And when I was fighting against the Charlies, it was all BVR stuff, so we were dead well before the merge, uh, which was kind of a bummer. but against the strike Eagles, we got to, uh, actually get engaged and that was really fun. Um, you know, I don't, I, I can't make a generalization on communities based on a couple different engagements. But, um, my experience was that the strike Eagle guys weren't as good in the BFM arena, which makes sense cause they were mostly air to ground, uh, pilots, um, that did a little bit air to air, whereas the Charlie guys were pure air to air. Um, But it was fun. It was super fun. Uh, You know, it's always fun fighting a dissimilar aircraft. Uh, Tammy Marie Purdy. The Flight Museum in Everett, Washington, and Disney actually own the patent. Patent for what? I didn't didn't spot that. Uh, Beetlejuice Fly. flown any WW2 fighters in World War II? No, I have not. Um, A good friend of mine who was actually uh, the... Subject of speed and angels. Jay Consalvi has done a bunch of warbird flying. He's flown F4U Corsair. He's flown P51. He flew a Yak three, uh, uh, Soviet airplane, um, and maybe some other stuff. He's oh a T6. He owned or owns a T6. Uh, I've never done it other than my Yak, which is not really a warbird. It's it was built in 1984, so it's you know relatively recently made airplane. Uh, I don't have any other, uh, tail dragger time, uh, liquid. Wow. To be honest, it sounds like it would be a lot more fun doing it in the A model. There's a lot more to the maneuver that way. That's awesome. Thank you. Uh, I don't know if I would agree with that. I mean, it's nice to be able to, um, like more is better. Like I think it would be better to fly the F 22 than the F 14 a, even though it was more difficult to fly the F 14 a, um, it's a better airplane and it allows you to offload some of those like stick and rudder things that you have to do and allow you to conceptualize a better way to execute a dogfight, if that makes sense. Um, you know, when you're flying a less capable airplane, there's a certain portion of your brain power that is flying the airplane. Um, and so that gives you less ability to, uh, to, to be able to execute your weapon systems and tactics. So, Uh, What was the main difference between the F5 and the T38? I never flew the T38, but uh, uh, I know enough about it. So the F5 had bigger engines, uh, has uh, leading edge extensions, a shark nose in the front, um, a radar. Uh, Also, single seat was what we were, for the most part, 99% of the time we were uh, single seat versus T38 is uh, two seat. And we have uh, leading edge uh, slats and flaps uh, that we use as maneuvering devices as we're dogfighting. So, and that makes a massive, massive difference. Um, so you could, you know, as, as you're getting involved in a BFM engagement, you start turning and you pull out your leading-edge slats and, and flaps to to increase the camber of the wing and, and your degrees per second. It's a pretty big difference, actually. Uh, beefier landing gear was designed, they, the F5 was designed to uh, potentially work off of unimproved fields, so like dirt fields and stuff like that. Um, ah, the flying tire logo. Sorry, Tammy. Didn't know what you were talking about. Uh, how much did you, did you use reheat afterburner in the F5? Uh, afterburner is used the same basically in every airplane. You use it when you need it, when you need to go fast, you plug it in and, and then in your head, you're counting the seconds because, uh, you know, like in the F14, we have 20,000 pounds of gas and Afterburner burns 2,000 pounds per minute, so you could be gone and you could be empty in 10 minutes. Um, so you're very cognizant of the amount of time that you were uh, plugged into the blower. Um, so dogfighting, and you know, if you needed to get up to speed for an engagement, uh, you, you would plug it in, but you're very conscious of the amount of time. And also when you're coming back in to go for the overhead, sometimes you get yourself up to 600 knots. Neil Osborne, thank you for your time in military service. You are welcome, Neil. It was my pleasure. Uh, Mick Penn 14, loved Speed and Angels. I noticed a couple of shots that you and Jay, on a, uh, uh, with you and Jay on a carrier, had you transferred back to the fleet before filming was completed and when you making a cameo? Um, very observant. Uh, I was not in the fleet, I was still, I was a reservist. Um, but I was going out to the carrier, uh, and I asked if it was okay if I wore a flight suit, cause that's what I was used to wearing on a carrier. Uh, and they were fine with it. So I, I showed up, I was a commander in the reserves at the time. I showed up in my flight suit and flight gear, I mean a flight jacket. And, um, I was kind of, it, it was in essence, in essence, a cameo because I wasn't supposed to be on camera, but, uh, Peyton Wilson, who was the director, just kind of got us talking and chatting in the, in the wardroom. And, um, it turned out to be a cool shot and I'm, I'm glad it was in the movie. What was the fastest you had flown your F-14, and what was the highest altitude you went up to? So I, I covered this earlier. I went to 1.7, 1.67. So I basically 1.7 in the F-14A before I had a dual compressor stall. And the highest I went was 45,000 feet in the F-14B in about 35 seconds, pure vertical. Uh, I'm sure it would have gone higher, but we were heading towards the top of our uh, airspace, so we we pulled over. Um, Martin, as a fighter pilot, what do you consider the most essential characteristics needed for a good fighter? Um, those have changed over the years, those essential characteristics. We touched on it a little bit earlier in the F-35 discussion, but, you know, back in World War II, you needed something that could go pretty fast and shoot, uh, you know, and have a long range. Um, and then maneuverability was uh, critical, but not, you know, essential. Like a, the uh, ME-109 was more maneuverable than the P-51. It turned out the P-51 was a more successful fighter in the long range for a variety of reasons. Today, what makes a good uh, fighter airplane? Um, you know, you, you need to have that connected battlefield, so that data link awareness. Uh, you have to have all these incredible sensors and sensor fusion, which is. The ability to take all this data the radar data the infrared data um the camera the actual camera data yeah you know, i don't know if you, the f-35 has cameras embedded in its skin and you take all of that stuff the radar warning uh um, information and you mush it into something that is usable for the air crew while he's going you know 1.4 mach and Potentially being shot at, so that sensor fusion is really critical as well. There's an insane amount of information that fighter pilots are having to deal with now, um, and to be able to uh, collect that data and then uh, put it, make it available to the pilot um, so that he or she can use it properly is really critical. And then obviously you need speed and you need stealth. Um, you need the ability to deliver weapons. Um, so uh, there's there's a lot uh, that goes into it and. You know, the F-22 is a different beast than the F-35, and then the sixth generation fighters, I don't don't know what they're going to be. But it's probably pretty damn space age, uh, just seeing what the F-35 can do already. Uh, Mike says, we have 15 minutes left, so get your questions in. Uh, Ishigori, yeah. Can I share something about my new book? I can. I don't know if you've read Lines of the Sky. but it's uh it's a naval aviation thriller uh and it's you know got uh, slammer uh, richardson as the main character uh who goes you know he's an instructor and uh, he ends up uh, with some of his students in this big battle in the south china sea um the climactic battle scene so uh the next book is called the dragon and it's a sequel it's it continues slammer richardson's uh um adventures um he uh I think I'm going to share like the, the prologue because it's a pretty shocking prologue. Pretty soon on my website, so uh, I go to that. Uh, I think there's going to be a way to sign up uh, on that pretty short, pretty soon, to uh, to be able to get an excerpt from the book. But um, basically, it involves Iran. There's some F-14s in there. Um, slammer uh, gets shot down, and and uh, everything that happens after that is is fairly dramatic. So. I hope that answers a little bit of your question. Uh, Beetlejuice, uh, can you tell us one of your scariest moments in your flying career, if you had any, not the TF-30 style? (laughs) Uh, That was a scary moment. Um, I, let's see, I had a plane crash, and I think I mentioned this last time. I I crashed an F-5 in Reno landing, uh, and I had a really big crosswind in, in the, synopsis uh, is that the plane went off the end of the runway, rolled over, and the canopy broke, and the really uh, thick plexiglass that the canopy is made of broke into these razor-sharp shards, like daggers, and as the plane was upside down and and sliding a little bit, the daggers bent back and cut my neck. I got a scar right here, Uh, but it cut my neck uh, just deep enough to leave a scar but not deep enough to cut my carotid or my trachea or anything like that. And I was hanging upside down with a shard in my neck, uh, you know, waiting to be rescued for quite a while. So that was probably my scariest. Um, asks, uh, is there any chance that I might do a sequel of speed and angels? Um, I've been asked over the years to, you know, there've been some discussions about doing another, um, uh, TV show like Speed and Angels, but uh, it's just never, you know, I've had a bunch of meetings with a variety of different production companies. Nothing's ever really come of it. Um, I'm happy to do it. I think the Navy would like that. It would be fun to do, but that's never come up. It's never been able to get past the meetings stage. Or re-release for a wider audience. Well, it's on the internet. I don't know how much wider you can get than than the internet. Uh, Joe d 777 do you happen to recall the G onset rate of the F5 and the F14? Well, the G onset rate was whatever you pulled. There was no um, there was no metering to it. You know, there's a stick, and if you snatched the stick back into your lap, the onset rate would be faster. And that's how most of our overstresses happened. Like you'd, you'd be coming to emerge doing you know 450, 500, 600 knots, and uh, you'd either be surprised. Like my highest G ever was something like i don't know 11.9 g's and i was flying in a two-seat f5 with our flight dock in the back seat and we were we had finished up a huge furball engagement and we're trying to bug out so we're um we're accelerating and going downhill and i was going through about 500 knots and the dock goes break right there's a you know a uh, fighter at our uh, right two o'clock and i look and i see this guy coming right at us and i turned into him and pulled and i didn't think i pulled that hard but i spiked the g up to basically 12 g's um uh so that's the g onset rate in a as opposed to like a you know an f18 or the f35 i think and the f22s have a measured onset rate where it won't allow them to over g the airplane um Ishgor, yes, I've read Lines of the Sky. I loved it. Thank you. I appreciate that. I hope you like the sequel as well. Uh, Tammy Marie, uh, my great uncle, JG Bill Litter of the memory Reaper squadron, started dragging red one. Okay. Um, R-sharp, it's too bad they didn't have better cameras to film those left at 14 before they were retired. I agree, um, and we, you know, we have some great HD footage of the F-14 uh, in Speed and Angels, um, but, you know, we filmed, uh, I think it was April of 2006 is when we filmed the air-to-air sequences with and, and the ground-to-air sequences with the F-14 and the F-5s, and the plane was retired from service just a few months later in September, so we, we got the last, the last of the good stuff, and we, we have, I have, like, 200 hours, maybe, of uh, HD 14 footage sitting in my garage, I should probably do something with. Uh, I think that's it. Yeah. Thanks again, Paco. It's, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. It's my pleasure as well. Thank you all for listening and sending in great questions.